Christian, I am here with Easton as always, and we are back for yet another episode of You Wouldn't Get It. Episode 5, I believe, and we have been going steady, and we've got yet another topic that we kind of haven't really delved into too much yet to keep it, keep things, keep you on your toes, more importantly, but also just to keep things fresh. So, Easton, take it away. Yes, sir. So, today we're doing a topic that, uh, I would say both of us enjoy and, and kind of are fans of to some extent. Um, but it's also interesting in just the case of how the sport is. So we're going to be talking about the UFC. Um, mixed martial arts is the sport specific to it. And I guess the reason we kind of chose to talk about this beyond the fact that we both enjoy the, inv- enjoy the events um, and are fans of the sport It's kind of an interesting sport in the sense that it's very recent and it's one of those sports that a lot of people kind of wrote off because it wasn't really one of your mainstream sports. And now I would almost argue that it's made it to that level of, you know, one of those sports that you're seeing in the, you know, your daily sports center. Um, So if you don't mind, Christian, I'll just dive into kind of how this company came to be dive so, yeah. right yep. into it you can just shut up for a sec don't say uh, any words and we should be good. Sealed. okay right. sounds good um so how this started a lot of people don't actually know how this started so a couple of um, mixed martial artists one that some people may know he's really the only notable name is he's the rory and gracie part of the gracie family um big jiu-jitsu family anyways him and a group of guys decided that I believe they went to Brazil and they had these competitions there where they basically tried to figure out what style of fighting would would dominate in competition if you put all of them against each other. And they took this idea to the United States to form the UFC. Um, and that's honestly what it started out as. It was legitimately a tournament where these fighters would fight each other and try to make it to the championship. And the whole goal of it was to see what style of fighting prevails when you stack everything against each other. Now, obviously, you know, that's a good start, but logistically doesn't make a ton of sense when you talk about, you know, how much time fighters typically need um, to take off when, you know, after a fight, because they weren't really concerned about head damage and injuries as much back then. Uh, so it definitely ran into some criticism early. Um, Senator John McCain, actually, RIP, uh, from the state of Arizona was very, very against it. He called it human cockfighting. He, along with many other people, and just basically the, the brutal scene that the sport portrayed was not doing great in the public light. Honestly, there was a lot of problems with it. You started seeing some of the health concerns brought up and a lot of the rules were honestly just way too brutish as far as like, you know, at at that time, headbutts were allowed. There was like pull hair and all that wild stuff. So the sport ran into a big block, kind of got shut down for a while. And then in 2001, I believe it was the Fertitas bought the company for just $2 million under Zufa LLC. Uh, they appointed Dana White to president. He's been the president ever since. 
And even though they've kind of faced their ups and downs, they've obviously continued to grow. And as of recent, struck the huge deal with ESPN, where they're doing everything on ESPN Plus, um, even their pay-per-views now. And I, I believe, and this was as of like three or four years ago, they were valued at over $4.2 billion. So I'd imagine that number could possibly have honestly doubled by now with the ESPN deal. Um, so yeah, they basically just took something that looked like it was going to get shot down and turned it into not only a huge success, but something that people consider a legitimate sport now, rather than, as John McCain um, termed it, human cockfighting. It's seen more as, you know, a mixed martial art or a sport. So with that said, Christian, anything to add there? Yeah, and I think the most interesting part of all of this, and it's just kind of the business side of things, the fact that Dana White ended up buying UFC back in 1993 for just $2 million and seeing the growth of it now, Dana White's, he's valued at almost $500 million. And obviously, like you were saying, UFC in general is valued at a very, very high number now. It was really just the regulations and the rules that I think did a really big or had a big part in kind of regulating the sport in general to the public eye. Because as you said, you went to the John McCain thing and how he kind of basically did lobby against the sport. And back in the 90s, even a little bit in the early 2000s, this was a sport that was seen out or seen as, like you're saying, human cockfighting. It was not respected in a lot of ways. And now that the respect is kind of coming into itself with the UFC and just the UFC in itself kind of created a, a big leagues of MMA that there really wasn't there. Um, and allowing there to kind of be that big leagues has allowed regulations and everything just to put the sport in a better light. Yeah. And I think honestly that, and Christian, I know you're a big uh, WWE fan. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. I, huge. We won't get into that, but <laughs> I, I honestly think that in the early days of the UFC, it was kind of viewed at in that sense of light, like in the, the the WWE, like fake, just crazy fighting world. It was kind of seen as that. And I don't think that that was the best um, intentions for the company, because I think that the, the fake wrestling side of things really dominated that market, because obviously, you know, if they're if they're just acting it out, they can make it a lot more interesting. Where so, you know, these guys are competing in a legitimate sport, but like you mentioned, without those, you know, the regulations and the safety guidelines put in place, it was easy for people to see it as just some, you know, nonsense people beating the living hell out of each other for no reason. And, you know, to look at it now where it's there's, you know, legitimate guidelines as far as fighters get suspended for a certain amount of time after their fights based on their injuries. They're constantly being assessed with concussion protocols. You know, they have state-of-the-art technology to help with their recovery. And the UFC works hand-in-hand with a bunch of the best medical professionals in the world to make sure, you know, that these fighters are staying as safe as possible. Obviously, the sport um, by nature is very violent, so you're not going to be, you know, it's not going to be injury-free by any means, but it's just taken a huge step and... I 100% agree. I think that that's why it's now viewed as, you know, one of the mainstream sports that you 
you flip the late night TV on to, to see the highlights of. Yeah. And you touched on it or you started kind of going into the idea of the WWE and UFC and how they're different in a lot of ways. And yes, they are different in a lot of ways, but also I think they're very similar in a lot of ways. They're both sports that work off of their draws. They basically, the companies go where their biggest stars go. Now, WWE, it's a little bit easier for them because like you were saying, they can handpick their stars. They see a lot of superstar potential and someone like maybe Hulk Hogan or John Cena, they can be like, okay, this is going to be the next big time guy. And we're going to make this guy a superstar. or He's going to make this company huge. And then you'll naturally see booms and valleys in these companies. Well, the issue with the UFC is that it can't necessarily handpick its stars. So you don't know when the next Brock Lesnar or Conor McGregor or Ronda Rousey is going to come, come around. Generational stars who have been kind of the biggest names. So right now, I'd argue with McGregor kind of being out of the spotlight, they don't have that mega, mega star. Yeah, they've got a lot of A-list superstars. They've got Khabib. They've got Masvidal, Stipe. They've got these guys who are big time, um, just even, yeah, big time for the casual fan. But do they have the guy, in your opinion, that is able to bring them truly into the mainstream? Um. Here's what I'll argue. I will argue that, to your point of McGregor, so we'll rewind this a little bit. Okay. You know, obviously you got to give a ton of credit to the guy because he, you know, he's come out himself and said he deserves a share of the company, which, you know, whether he's serious or not. Honestly, though, he did bring so much light to the sport. And, mm-hmm. and ever since he became a part of the sport, fighter pay has went just jacked up especially when you talk about like the people who are the champions of their divisions their pay has just gone through the roof because he brought a lot of attention to the sport and it kind of has that domino effect where it's like okay you know mcgregor fights uh a a jose aldo or you know a nate diaz or a cowboy cerrone now every time those guys fight after that they're they have that name recognition because they fought mcgregor so they're bringing bringing more fans that way um so to your point i would say you're right in the sense that they don't have one star that's that's carrying the load like he did when he was super active but i think that the overall popularity of the ufc is at the highest it's ever been and you know how much of that is to credit dana white for keeping the show running when all the other sports kind of shut down, you know, who knows, but I think some of those names you mentioned there, um, like your Masvidal's, like your Usman's, your Stipe's, I think those guys have really, really increased their, their draw and their pay-per-view numbers and their overall popularity. And, you know, that's not really to credit to Conor McGregor. I think that's to credit the sport itself growing I know that the, uh, I don't know if they've released the final numbers, but I'm pretty sure that Usman card, the Usman Masvidal card um, that had three title fights on it was putting up right around the same pay-per-view numbers as the Khabib Connor fight. So, you know, okay. I think that the overall sport itself has really grown, not not in the sense that one person is carrying it, but I think that, you know, as a whole, it's the most popular it's ever been. 
Yeah, and I, I'd say I agree, honestly, because I'm looking here. I have the top 10 pay-per-view buys, and the khabib Connor fight is obviously – it's number one, um, 2.4 million buys. And this is up to through the end of July 2020, so I'm not sure that recent fight that you just mentioned isn't on here. But five of the top 10 pay-per-views of all time were main evented by Conor McGregor, yeah. um, including one, two, and three. A couple other notable, Lesnar was in three of the top 10, Rousey was in two of the top 10. But I, I really love the comment you made on building new stars off of who McGregor fights, because that is the cycle of these combat sports. The new stars are made by facing the current stars. Um, and even at Khabib, who's been around for a while, he, I feel like every fight he's in now is must-see after yeah. he fought Conor McGregor. And that's just the cycle, like I said, of these combat sports. The new stars step up when the old ones either retire or step away from the spotlight. Yeah, and that's, I mean, honestly, to his credit, I think for for beating Conor that first time, because I think had he not done that, it might not be the same thing. Um, you know, he's not a very... You know, the whole thing with McGregor, and we can be honest about this, is he could talk a lot of shit and he could back it all up. He was mm-hmm. saying things and doing them, and that just has an appeal to it in any sport with any athlete where if they're able to do that, they draw huge numbers. Like, same type of deal with a Michael Jordan, with a Kobe Bryant, um, you name it. If the guys can talk it and walk it, it just blows their popularity through the roof. Um now, with the, the Khabib thing, he's not that type of guy. You know, he's not one that's going to say much. Um, he had a few little kind of heated moments here and there, but nothing to really draw anything in. And then you have that Connor fight. And not to mention, his style of fighting is not, if you're, you know, not a diehard fan, it's not the most interesting to watch. He's a ground heavy guy. He's going to wrestle, he's going to hold you in the same spot for you know, three, four minutes on end until he can get his position and then he'll go to work. It's not the most exciting style of fighting. But since he beats Conor McGregor, now his next few fights have huge draws just because he, you know, he beat the UFC star. Um, I, you know, I think everyone's looking forward to that rematch, hopefully, because there were some issues in, in McGregor's camp with the recent release of his proper 12 and uh, some some drinking problems throughout that camp, but regardless, you know he beat him, and because of that, you're right. His popularity soared through the roof, and it has that that effect to now when he fights someone and he's got that popularity to his name. Now whoever's he's fighting is is also going to see that rise. So insert Dustin Poirier, his next fight after McGregor. You know Dustin Poirier is a long spent a long time in the UFC. He's had a lot of big fights. He fought McGregor as well. Um, But after that Khabib fight, a lot of attention got brought to him, not just as a fighter and how good of a fighter he was, but he does a lot of stuff in his hometown in Louisiana um, to kind of help the kids that are struggling around that area. And his organization that he runs absolutely blew up after that and received like record amounts of a record amount of donations after that Khabib fight. So it kind of has that cool effect where, yes, it starts with someone, but then the person they fight blows up, and then the person that blows up fights blows up, and it just keeps going. It's like a snowball. So I think that's why, honestly, we're at the place we're at now where the, 
the company as a whole has gotten a lot more popular. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and going into just the the idea of what is Conor McGregor, the entity of it, Conor McGregor is the perfect kind of superstar for the current era that we're living in. For social media, um, for all the theatrics, people eat that shit up. And like I was saying, social media has played an absolutely huge role in not only building his own brand, but building the company's brand in general. And that can be said for a lot of different businesses. For pretty much any new business that's trying to get itself off the ground, they need a social media brand. And social media is pretty much, obviously, Conor McGregor is an elite athlete, elite fighter. But the social media side of things and his theatrics also took him to a new level. And like you said, when people realized he was this kind of theatrical, high character guy, I don't know if high character is the right phrase, but just a lot of energy guy. Yeah. Um, and then realized he could also back it up in the ring. That's when kind of the legend of Conor McGregor started to take off. And now you have all kinds of different branches you can go from this you have other side stories like a guy like john jones who is an absolute generational athlete generational fighter you don't see guys like this come around a lot um and he could if he if he wanted to be he could be one of if not the biggest star ufc has ever seen obviously he's had a lot of issues outside of the ufc and social media has helped to kind of create this this image of him that whether it's fair or not, he's now seen as the bad guy in UFC. And like I was saying, he's a guy who could be the guy, but who knows if that'll ever be the case now. Yeah, and I here's the comparison I like to make with John Jones. I think John Jones is to the UFC what Barry Bonds is to the MLB. And okay. in the sense of, his his greatness can't be denied. I think the majority of people would put him in the conversation of the greatest mixed martial artists of all time. Um, you know, you can throw GSP, George St. Pierre in there yeah. as well. Um, but he has that tainted record where it's like, OK, you know, one fight he tested positive for some substance and, you know, he has his reasons for that. It wasn't you know, a, a crazy substance that gave him some huge advantage. He didn't do like a cycle of steroids or anything, but it's still, you know, it's still an etch on the record. It's not something you want to see. And the fact that that's happened multiple times with him. And then most recently he got the DUI. Um, you know, you're right. That's, that's really held him back from probably being considered the greatest of all time because you know, had he not had that stain on his record, he's an undefeated fighter. His only loss is because he got DQ'd in a fight where he was absolutely annihilating the guy and threw an illegal knee, I believe it was. And, you know, that's a whole nother story because usually the fighters kind of have the respect to where if they're not put out cold, they don't take the DQ. Because um, he actually could have gotten DQ'd in his Anthony Smith fight as well. But Anthony Smith said, no, you know, I wasn't damaged by the strike heavily keep the fight going which is kind of an unwritten rule in ufc like that's just what you do and you know unfortunately for john jones i forget who he was fighting but they took the dq they ended the fight and you know it is what it is um but you're right it's you know 
say again, same thing as Barry Bonds is to the MLB. Like one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time, but has the tainted record. Okay. Okay. So I want to take this conversation in a little bit of a different direction now. Me more so being a casual fan of the UFC, you you more so being a little bit more diehard. I want to get your general and overall opinion of one of the most controversial figures. And like I said, I'm a WWE guy, so I know a lot of his WWE background, but Brock Lesnar's run in UFC, what it meant for the company, um, not only what it meant for the company, but how you think his whole his role in that company played out throughout the years and whether you think he may have wasted some years that could have ascended him even higher. Yeah. So the thing with Brock Lesnar and his appeal is similar, not the same as a Conor McGregor's, but he's unique, right? So with McGregor, you have, we didn't even talk about the fact that he's hilarious. Like everyone loves him because yes. he's legitimately hilarious. Like his yes. press conferences, his who the fuck is that guy? All that stuff. Like yeah. People love that. So uh -huh. he's unique in that sense. Now, Brock Lesnar is unique in the fact that he is built like a titan. Like he mm -hmm. is absolutely massive. You know, he was a, a very successful college wrestler. Um, and it's he just looks like a guy who, when everyone sees him, it's like, wow, who in the hell would want to fight that guy? Especially real fighting. It's kind of like, you know, the same thing when you, you look to the WWE like a big show, this whole effect yeah. of this yeah. guy is yeah. massive. Why would anyone on earth want to step in so a like ring with the him? The novelty, the novelty of him. Yeah. Yeah. So that being said, um, he obviously had a great run in the UFC. To your question of, you know, did that bouncing back and forth hurt him? Mm -hmm. Honestly, I'm going to say no. I think that Brock Lesnar's time had kind of come in the UFC in terms of the heavyweight division at that point had caught up to his talents. So obviously he's, you know, he was a great wrestler. Um, his striking was pretty good. He had some heavy hands up being the massive beast that he is, but it wasn't, you know, a generational, he wasn't a generational striker. Great wrestling though. Now insert a guy like Kane Velasquez who, who beats him for the heavyweight title he not only outstruck him in that match, he out-wrestled him. And Cain Velasquez, in his own respect, you know, great wrestler at Arizona State. Um, so when you match him up in that way, you know, I think that the talent had overcome where Lesnar was at, and I don't think that he would have had a very successful run moving forward unless he truly transformed um his mixed martial arts talents in the sense of he would have need to improve his stri his striking a bunch and be a little more fluid instead of just relying on, you know, I'm going to bully guys to the ground and then just beat the tar out of them while they're down to win fights because that, you know, people, the UFC as a sport has advanced so much in technique that once you get these, these, you know, generational wrestlers who also learn how to strike and they have that takedown defense, you can't just be a one-faceted fighter anymore. You have to have all of the skills to almost an expert level. You know, even a guy like we've talked about Conor McGregor, everyone always shoots him down for his, his wrestling and his ground and pound. Um, 
he's still a great wrestler. Right? You know, there's plenty of stories where he goes into jujitsu gyms and rolls with the black belts there and, and taps the black belts. Like we're talking about a guy who's in the, the top 0.01% of grapplers in the world. And yet he's considered to be a weak grappler in the UFC. Mm-hmm. So to back to Lesnar, I think that that's what was going to hold him back is he just wasn't all around the fighter he would have needed to be to keep his championship status. Now he would have still been a great fighter and probably top 10 throughout the rest of his career. I just don't think he is holding the belt the whole time. Okay. Okay. So we've kind of shimmied around one more question that I want to ask you and being more so a diehard fan and seeing the technicality side of it and also, we've talked about like the theatrical side of it. Who would you say on a technical level is the GOAT or would you, the best of all time when it comes to fighting? That's really well, hard. Is there, is there one that stands out? Because so, obviously, yeah, go on, go on. Yeah, that's hard because I think the conversation is 100% between GSP and John Jones. And okay. When you look at just the technical level and the reason it's hard is because I think GSP is a, a great striker, but he's a phenomenal wrestler. And John Jones is a great wrestler and a phenomenal striker with unreal timing and setups. So those two, it's hard to say. It's kind of like trying to, to pick the you know best pitcher and best hitter in baseball and saying who's the better player because they're so different in their styles that it's hard to say like which one was more dominant than the other at the end of the day it's hard to argue against john jones because he obviously hasn't lost and you know gsp did take a loss um i think he actually has two in his career so i want to say john jones but gsp is right there if not tied with the greatest of all time yeah, and another thing that would just make it tough in general is the the weight classes. So it's tough to compare a lighter weight class to a, obviously right. a higher weight class. And this brings me to another thing that kind of interested me in general, and this is the idea of jumping between weight classes and kind of the history between that. So one of the bigger stories coming out of the last few weeks is the idea that John Jones is actually vacating his light heavyweight title because he wants to move up to heavyweight. Now this is creating some issues because he wants to fight Miocic or Stipe Miocic, but also I believe it's Francis Ngannou has already yeah. been promised to fight by Dana White. So there's kind of some issues going on there. You want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So it's interesting because he's coming into this heavyweight picture, like you said, at a time where the next title fight has pretty much already been set in stone. Yeah. Um, and it's a it's a rematch. You know, Stipe and Ngannou have fought before, but at that point in Ngannou's career, he he was not technically as sound as he is now. He was kind of more of just a wild, like, freak-of-nature athlete that had uh, just unreal knockout power. But Stipe, being the very technical striker that he is, and... Um, just overall intelligence within mar- mixed martial arts was able to kind of, you know, tap around him and outpoint him the first time. This time, I think it'll be a lot different. And I think everyone recognizes that. So 
there is that want to see those two fight because you've got uh, a Francis Ngannou now who is technically has technically gotten a lot better, but he still has that just freakish power, like knock you out in five seconds power. And if he can get Stipe, you know, Stipe is going to fall. So everyone wants to see that fight. Everyone knew that fight would be next. I think it was not the best idea for John Jones to get into that heavyweight picture at this time. So if he's going to be taking a fight soon, I don't think it's against either of those two. Um, who knows he'll, who they'll set him up with at heavyweight. But I think he he will either have to fight someone and get a win under his belt in that division or he's going to have to wait a while for that championship to play out, which he very well might. So, It'll be interesting to see how a guy like John Jones transitions. And, I mean, being the fact that it's John Jones, I would assume he's going to transition flawlessly, but it'll be interesting to be seen. Um, now, I'd be interested to see if you agree with this sentiment. And it's been something that when I think of the UFC – I think of the fact it's very unique how they number their pay-per-views. So obviously like one, two, three, four, all the way up to, it was just two fifty-two this past weekend. Um, I feel like at this point in the UFC's just career as a business, these pay-per-views need to become more so of a novelty. I feel like there are so many of them. And I feel like if you could kind of build up the aura of these pay-per-views a little bit more, and it's the same issue with WWE. They have so many pay-per-views a year. People don't feel like they're absolutely must-see. Do you think a company like the UFC could benefit from maybe just having a couple a year, um, but having these cards absolutely stacked? Um, yes. And no, in some sense. So, okay. I mean, obviously, yes. So, like, when you look, that card we talked about earlier, the, the Usman Masvidal card that had the three title fights on it, uh, Jan Aldo, Holloway, Volkanovski rematch, you know, that card was huge. And so that's kind of like, that's what I'm getting from what you're saying is, like, basically building every card like that, where it's like you have three title fights on it and it's just yeah. craziness. Now, to what I was speaking to earlier, where I think that the UFC as a whole has gotten a lot more popular, I think it's making it a lot easier on the UFC to build those cards. So you even look at like this last okay. weekend. Obviously, Stipe DC3 is going to do huge numbers. It's a trilogy, trilogy fight that's tied up 1-1. It's for the heavyweight title. It's for, the honestly, the greatest heavyweight of all time, because those two are the two that are thrown in that argument. Um, so that's easy enough in itself, but then you look at the co-main event and I know it was a little disappointing because of an injury, um, that sort of put him out of it early, but a guy like Sean O'Malley, who's, who's young, he's, he's a, you know, like the Gen Z UFC fighter. He is on Twitch. He's a video gamer. He's got <laughs> millions of sus subscribers on YouTube. Yeah. People love him and he's an outstanding fighter and he fights the way he the style he fights with is so interesting to watch and so high paced that he's must see TV. So you've got a guy as in him as the co-main who's ranked only 14th in the division because he's a younger guy, hasn't been in the company for long, but you've probably got, you know, hundreds of thousands of people out there who buy that card just to see that co-main event. And that could 
speak to the younger generation, like I talked about, the big Sean O'Malley fans, you know, a lot of people bought that card just to see him fight. And again, it, you know, disappointing how it ended. But the more the UFC can build these, even if they're not to the Conor McGregor status of stardom, just these stars in general that certain groups of people want to tune in and see, it's it makes it all the easier on them to fill these cards. So I think, honestly, with the amount of cards they're doing now, they're doing just fine because they have such a good base of talent and a you know, good amount of stars that they're being smart about when they can make these cards happen and, you know, when it's going to be a little bit of a dead time. So, so yes, to answer your question, obviously that would help it out if they made less events in terms of probably overall pay-per-view buys. But I think that the volume they produce with the cards probably outweighs in terms of the profit they make if they were to wait and just do a few of them. Okay. Yeah, and I, I absolutely see what you're getting at there. Just the fact that they have been able to develop. Yeah, like you said, they may not have the Conor McGregor level stardom, but that's not always going to be expected. You're not always going to see that kind of athlete, that kind of fighter with just that kind of personality. That's like you're not always going to see a Mike Trout. He's not always going to be a player of that caliber in a league at all times, but just being able to distribute the talent and have so many guys who are capable of being great fighters and capable of going for that top spot puts the company in a great place in general. And I think that is, like you said, where UFC is at right now. Yeah. And one thing we haven't touched on that I think also helped build the company, you know, and we've already talked about this guy plenty, but the Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather fight. We're talking yes. about a, a UFC fighter who goes into the world of boxing and puts up the number two most bought pay-per-view of all time in the sport of boxing right behind Mayweather Pacquiao. And to his credit, he put on a great performance compared to what most experts you know, gave him credit for, saying, you know, this guy won't land a single punch in the fight. It's going to be over in three rounds. Um, Mayweather's just going to be playing with him like, no, it was a pretty good fight. And, you know, when that gas tank kind of emptied for McGregor, which a lot of people were skeptical about, being that it was, you know, a lot longer of a fight than he's used to in the UFC. And he already has this, you know, he's had stamina problems in the UFC. It was a good fight and it was entertaining to watch. And I think a lot of people kind of gained respect for the sport at that point. Like, wow, these guys, these guys are generational athletes. And, you know, I'm, guessing a lot of people that were diehard boxing fans saw that and kind of sparked their interest of like okay like this this guy's interesting this sport's interesting maybe let's check it out and that's how the fan base has developed because i think that like for especially speaking to for myself you know once you get into it a little bit and start following it you know pretty consistent consistently it's very easy to become i guess what you'd call quote unquote a diehard fan because it's just like there's stuff happening every week that changes what's changes the development of the company and of who's contending, you know, who's on the rise, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And not only that, just over the last 15, 20 years, you've seen a rise of these mixed martial art gyms and just training centers all over the country. And not that everyone is necessarily wants to become some MMA fighter. 
But the idea that you can kind of go and train like one of them, whether it be in boxing or jujitsu, something along those lines, it's a great way to get people involved in the sport, um, even if it doesn't just mean in a direct way. Yeah. And a lot of that is, you know, people do go to those gyms just for their daily workout type of thing. You know, there's a lot of people that do kickboxing or jujitsu for their daily workout and to also kind of learn just the art of self-defense. Well, now when you get a sport, like you said, that gets in the headlines a bunch and it's like, oh, hey, like this guy won, you know, via a rear naked choke or something like that. And then you've got all these people in jujitsu around the world that are like, you know, that's that's what I go in and do. It just you're right, like captures their attention. It's it's the same thing like you you're more prone to watch the sport that you play or participate in. So, yeah, I completely agree. The rise of these gyms and not only from a competitive standpoint, but just from kind of a leisure workout type of thing has, has definitely helped the sport grow a bunch. Mm-hmm. Now I, Oh, go ahead. No, I, you, you got it, man. Well, you I got, got a, I got two questions for you here. Okay. So the first, we're going to get a little more lighthearted to end this episode off. Okay. Okay. If Christian Barzi <laughs> was, Oh, a, a mixed martial artist in the UFC. What what is your style of fighting, and and what weight class are you fighting at? And don't <laughs> mess that one up. Do not mess that one up because there's one right answer for that. Um. All right. So the first one, the first one, there can be a couple right answers. I'd honestly just. Yeah, I, I'd say I'd be a ground fighter. I'd the, I'd go the wrestling route. Just because, like I said, I not that WWE is true wrestling, but my dad wrestled growing up, and I have some background uh, yeah. with wrestling. So yeah, I'd say that's the route I'd go. Now on the <laughs> the weight side of things, I'd like to think that I. Uh, what are what are, do you know off the top of your head? What like the numbers are for each weight class? Yeah. So you've got. So, yeah, I mean, we won't even we happen. won't even mention the first few because there's yeah, no need. Right. Yeah. We'll start it. We'll start it. Uh, so 145 is uh, featherweight, 55 uh, lightweight, 70 welterweight, 85 middleweight, 205 light heavyweight, and above that heavyweight. <laughs> so heavyweight just encapsulates everything above that. <laughs> All right, so to make you happy, yeah, I'd be in the heavyweight division. You'd be a heavyweight. Is that what, yeah, you, is that what you've been wanting to hear? Is are you happy now? Are you happy? <laughs> you know, and see- and and not only do I think you would be a heavyweight, I mean, you'd be one of the the bigger oh. heavyweights. Like you know, if you're over two sixty in that division, you're a big heavyweight, and you like, I mean, All right, we're you know, you go, you go, you go through. You go through a whole camp, you're training, trying to cut down, slim out a little. I bet you're weighing in at about eh, like 287 probably. So, so yeah. So, I think, you know, you get a couple wins under your belt. You know, maybe they throw you in there for, for John Jones's heavyweight debut. Maybe that's, oh, yeah, maybe that's, that's, that's your that's guy. What, that's what we'd all love to see, right? We'd all yeah. love to see him just absolutely pulverize me into being <laughs> nothingness. Um, see, here's the thing, man. For those who've been listening over the first couple episodes, we've kind of gone back to it. We've frequently gone back to this idea 
that Easton just at the end of the day, he's 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 not afraid to go to places that people should not go. He's rotten. He's rotten. And I just want to say yet again that you are proving to not only me, but everyone listening that you are a rotten human being. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, man. No, I, I get it. I'm a little horrible sometimes, but I'm just I'm saying it how it is, man. Like, you know, there was one right answer with that. You're going to be a heavyweight. You're going to be a big heavyweight. And, you know, who knows? Maybe it works to your advantage. <laughs> who knows? If it's John Jones I see in the ring against me, it's probably not going to end too well. Um, so, okay. Then you gave me a couple questions. I'll shoot a question back to you. What would you say is your – it doesn't necessarily have to be the biggest moment in UFC history, but what is your favorite moment in the time that you've been watching UFC? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, so admittedly, even though it seems a little bit bandwagon, like truthfully, the guy that got me into the sport was Conor McGregor. You know, I was at, I was a younger age when he was at the start of his career. And, you know, he was a guy that everyone was kind of interested in. So even though I'm a fan of a lot more fighters now than I was then, he got me into the sport. So I'll always... I'll always be a ride or die McGregor guy. And so I'm going to point to a fight where he didn't even, he didn't even win a title in. Um, You can look to like him making history, dethroning Jose Aldo, who was the, the featherweight champion for 10 years, him being the first multi-division champion beating Eddie Alvarez. But I think when he beat Nate Diaz, their second go around, that was, First of all, one of the best fights in UFC history as far as entertainment standpoint and just what an absolute war that fight was. And, you know, just the storyline behind it where, you know, McGregor hadn't lost in the UFC. He was kind of seen as untouchable. And you've got another guy in Diaz who, if there was a a star in the UFC before McGregor, the Diaz brothers are in that conversation. They've always been, they've always had a huge fan base. Honestly, one of the only guys that when you go to those press conferences or the weigh-ins with McGregor that you can even hear some fans for the other person because usually he just dominates that. And Diaz had a legitimate fan base at both of those fights. Um, And so just the whole storyline that there of him being kind of knocked off his high horse, he gets tapped out by Diaz, even though he was kind of outstriking him, he gasses out and then comes back the second time. You know, that so a lot of people don't talk about this. The first time they fought at 170, and up to that point, McGregor was fighting in the 145 division, which is a huge jump. So he was planning on fighting in 55 that fight. Uh, The other fighter pulls out, he gets Nate Diaz. Diaz says, You know, I can't make 55 in this amount of time. So they, he takes a fight at 170. So 25, yeah, 25 pounds over what he's usually coming in at. And then the second time around, rather than making them go down to 155, which is what it was supposed to be, and let's be honest, you know, he has the power in those negotiations. He's whatever he wants to happen is probably going to happen. Says he wants to fight again at 170, which is completely to his disadvantage because Diaz is a much bigger guy and and turns around and beats him in a five round dogfight. So I think historically for me, you know, that was one of the coolest moments in, in UFC history there. 
Okay, there you go. Um, and I'm actually rethinking the whole me fighting John Jones thing. Okay. I think if I go in there and hit him with an RKO, I think it's over. I think I win. Good God, man. <laughs> or choke slam. Maybe oh. that <laughs> Maybe I mean, throw a tombstone it, in there. <laughs> we're we're getting to that time where we're almost to the Barzy rating, and you kind of you were having a comeback performance. And again, it's these little dingers that are gonna get you at the end of the day. You just you can't help yourself. You got to have one bad take. Just good. I mean, oh, man, I have one more question for you, though. I didn't get to okay. finish my, my second good. question. Okay. Oh, okay. yeah, you did have a second question. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to list a few mainstream fighters here. Okay. Just off the top of my head, four or five of them. And I want you to give me a dollar amount for how much someone would have to pay you to step in the ring with them and put up a legitimate fight, a legitimate fight. So oh. you have to, so you can't just like, you can't just take a punch, fall down and say you quit. Like you're, you're either getting beat senseless or getting tapped out. Okay. So, so the first one, I mean, it's going to be a high amount for all of these people. Yeah, you say, no, right? no, it will. Okay. The first one start at the 55 division. Khabib and Amraga made off. God. Um, Khabib. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm gonna be dead. I'm gonna die regardless of who I'm fighting here. Um, Khabib, though, he's not that this not discrediting him at all, but he's a little bit of a smaller guy. So just because of that, it's not like he's you know, 70 pounds heavier than me. I'm gonna t- I'd take a little bit less in saying that. To he's gonna wrestle you fight. too. He's not yes. gonna, you know, beat your face no. off the whole he's, time. Yeah, I mean, and he, that's he's what gonna twist me into a pretzel. Let's let's call it what it is. Well, um, dollar amount, I'll put him at. I'd step in and fight Khabib for ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah, that's fair, and I and I like where you went with that actually, because a lot of times when people get these questions, they just uh, they automatically want to go to the millions and i've always made the argument and this holds true with a lot of things if you put that money in front of someone they're probably getting in there yeah all right i got three more for you okay next one we're gonna go up to the 70s jorge masvidal he's a scary little bit little bit bigger little bit scarier a little more of of a strike heavy guy Still only 170, though, so not it's, huge. Yes, 170, but he will still take my head off with a yeah. strike. Um, yeah, the, the price is going to go up for him. Okay. Um, to a, Yeah, it's got to go up high enough to where it covers the medical expenses. We'll assume uh, that's all taken care of. Okay, that's all taken care of. Okay, so we'll go up 20,000. I'm, I'm going to go 20,000 right. to step into a ring there. I'll take okay. that. All right. Second to last one here. Amanda <laughs> Nunez. See, I, I thought fight. you were going to throw Rousey in there, but I she's another one. Um, <sighs> and keep in mind, Nunez beat the brakes off of Rousey. <sighs> yeah. No, I'm... Uh, people like to go into this this argument of like, could if I stepped into a ring right now beat a guy like Ronda or be someone like Ronda Rousey, just the whole male versus female fighter? 
Amanda Nunes would kill me. Like she would destroy me just as much as those others would. She hey. would. I, I understand that. I'm not the ignorant guy. Oh, no. I, your your I, rating I just shot shit. up with that take. Yeah. Um. No, she would absolutely destroy me. Let's call it as it is. Uh, I'd say I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to give $10,000 for Amanda Nunes. Same as Khabib, huh? Same as Khabib, yeah. Okay. All right. That I mean, that's fair. I would still go a little less. I think she's still less scary than Khabib. Yes, Granted that he's yes. going to pound your face when you're on the ground. He's not just going to wrestle. But your take of the whole female fighter thing, absolutely accurate. These guys that have little to none fighting experience and want to hop up and say, oh, I could get in there with any UFC women's fighter and hold my own and I will I would just wrestle into the ground and beat oh, them down. You you don't understand how much technique plays a role into this. You know, you hear plenty of times when people are, are wrestling or they're boxing, you can get these little fly pee weights that if they have experience are just going to dice you apart. Like, and yep. that, that holds true in the grappling department too. You could have a hundred pounds on a guy. If he's technically sound and you don't know what you're doing, you are going to get tossed and you are going to get tapped in a matter of seconds. And that's all the same with the female fighters too. So, Barzi, one of the honestly, that might be the best take you've had since this podcast started because that's, there's a lot of there's a go. lot of arrogance. There's a lot of <laughs> arrogance in that topic, and uh-huh. you really hit that one on the head. So, and and I'm not even like this. This isn't even just speaking to the whole like equality thing. Genuinely, if you do not have a good amount of fighting experience, those women are going to kick your ass like just beat the brakes off of you 100 percent. all right last one here main event main event and we've brought this one up a few times <laughs> oh no francis nganu god yeah i mean he's gonna be uh, that's now here's, i mean i've here's been saying yeah no, I think you're going to say it right now. So I was go just going to say, like, I've been joking with the other guys that I may die. He literally killed me. I'm <laughs> actually dead. There's no coming back from this. Um, so just for that alone, to literally risk my life, risk the next, hopefully, whatever, 60, 70 years, I'm going to have, it's going to be probably an amount that's going to set me up for the near future, 100000 hundred thousand, I'd do it. Wow, I would. Uh, I would actually even go higher on that. To be You'd honest, go high. Yeah, I. I'd because, say it's fair to go because listen, there is almost a one hundred percent chance, and like we said before, this is you can't just like take a jab and fall and say you're done. You've got to legitimately put up a fight until you can't. Within twenty five seconds, you are <laughs> completely out cold. Whether you're dead or alive, you're going to be out cold. And you're, yes. you're 100% right. There is a legitimate threat that you will die. That would be <laughs> one that I would maybe threaten the millions on. I would maybe have to take some, some yeah. millions amount of dollars to step in the ring with that six foot four, 250 pound of all muscle freak of nature athlete to just <laughs> beat my head sideways. So Yeah, like I said, I would need money that would set me up going forward and yeah i may be selling myself short on the hundred thousand but i just feel like if you put that in front of me i'm risking it all now now here's here's another question for you really quick on that topic what if they said all right christian barzi 
you're going to fight Francis Ngannou. We've got an offer for you. You say, all right, Mr. Dana White, what is that? What if they offered you, hear me out on this. Are you going to say something with, ignorant? With, with every one of your six meals you eat a day. Yeah, you did. A, des- a dessert said- with all of them. <laughs> a dessert. I mean, what kind of dessert are we talking? Just anything? Whatever, I whatever you want. You, you're an, I know you're an ice cream boy, so you can have ice cream. I, I like my ice cream. <laughs> Six times a day? Oof. I mean, we're significantly, yeah. I, that's, that's a great deal. And if, if you're getting me on the right day, I may just accept that deal. <laughs> just depends on the day. It depends on how disciplined I'm feeling on that said day. Uh, but ice cream with every meal, um, it's hard to pass that up. It's hard to yeah. pass that up. Yeah. So. All right. I like that. Any more questions? Um, I have covered everything I wanted to ask you. It sounds like, you know what? I'm not even going to give you the chance to ask anything more because, you know, you, you should just come yeah, up with yeah, something. Yeah. Ig- yeah. Ignorant. Um, but that. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Yes. Whew. This is a big me. moment. We have, the, we have the Christian Barzi rating of the day. Now, you you had a great start. You left me on a bit of a bad note with that RKO nonsense. You know, I, I I understand you threw it out as a little bit of a joke. I just, I truly hate the comparison in all facets. So <laughs> you got docked some points there, but you came back with arguably your best take since we've started this podcast. Good, good. You had some good ones on the, on the Valpo food episode, but I think this one trumps all of those even. That brought you up a lot. And and out of respect for that, I'm going to kind of cancel the RKO take out of my mind. It's still sitting back there somewhere, so it's going to play a minor role. But it won't be as big of a role as it was as it was going to play in this score. So, Christian Barzi, your rating of the day, and, and you're going to love this, and I don't think this is getting beat, I'm going to give you a 9.4. It just keeps on going up. It just keeps on going up. I'm gonna I'm going to start going back and like looking at the ratings for each episode and average them out now that we're actually getting some episodes into this thing. Um, okay. but that uh that is you're right, that's gonna be tough, tough to beat. And I just keep setting the table even higher for myself uh, moving forward. It's gonna be tough to beat that. I but I accept the challenge. That's and that's what I'm gonna leave it at. And you should because I just have a bad feeling that next week that rating is is going to be very poor. Very, very poor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's looking that way. Given um, that we have a very good topic in store, it, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't trust you to... Uh, well, there's, there's a lot of takes, a lot of hot takes that could come from the topic we're going to be discussing next week. So. Yep. Yeah, it's it's going to be... We'll leave the suspense there. We'll leave the suspense there. So guys, I hope you enjoyed yet another episode of You Wouldn't Get It. Um, as always, check out all of our social media sites, Twitter, check us out, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whichever one you want to listen to us on. Go right ahead and listen. But as always, we appreciate you guys and we will see you next week.